You're listening to Pirate Cat Radio, KPCRLP, 92.9 FM, Los Gatos and beyond. Hi, I'm Chris Sacknesson, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Chris Sacknesson. He's the author of a guide to creative writing and the imagination. Chris, how are you? I'm good, Tony. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been a while since we've done a gig. I remember the old days in San Francisco. Uh, I appreciate your support. You are, in fact, a contributor to this Rutledge Press uh, textbook, and I've gotten good feedback on your portion of it. So, thank Oh, you cool. Much. Oh, right on. I'm I'm very happy to be part of it. It was I it it I love what you did with it because you you kind of did some abstract beautiful things that that's all that's kind of all part of what imagination is. It's the I, you kind of like throw some uh some uh what do you call it? Nothing not everything needs to be explained. Here's some images. I, I thank you. Uh, I really wanted to be spiral and to come in from oblique, strange angles. I think a lot of uh, writers know uh, the, the, the really best-selling textbooks in the MFA realm, but also down to the undergraduate. And I'd like to think this could also apply at the high school level, as well as moving out into non-academic frames. Uh, one of my models for the book is actually, and one of the key themes of the book is to draw on other art forms for inspiration. And the beautiful book, Drawing on the Right-Hand Side of the Brain, uh, which is a perennial classic. And for people in the know, that the agent who represented that book, that launched her career. And her other major client is a fellow named Dan Brown, who, you know, wow. successes, you know? Yeah. So you don't need many successes as an agent to really break through, but drawing on the right-hand side of the brain is such a beautiful book. I don't think it has anything necessarily to do with drawing and visual art. Of course it does, but I'd like to think that my textbook moves outside of writing to embrace imagination contentment with thinking, alertness, and a broader frame of, of you know, reference. Um, that, I think that is what, what I mean, writing, writing is about, you know, bringing all of life in, right? You know, so you can't just focus on writing. Um, and I was really pitching hard against some really good books. Um, Janet Burroughs' textbook, which has been around a lot. You've probably run into that. Which um, What's the title of that? Do you remember? Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. Well, it's so bland. There are a lot mm. of bland things. And I had a one. Oh, I had, yeah. I, I, and, you know, I even have a shelf of for these, you know, writing books. And like half of them are bland. But I still pull them out every once in a while. And and go oh yeah that's right that person's crazy but that one thing makes sense but 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 I really like your comparison to drawing on the right side of the brain because what I think what I when that when I found out what that book was I never drew and when I started just doing the exercises it made me realize 
that your your brain sees your it made me see things differently. All it did was just I I like all of a sudden it, I can see how something three dimensional can be two dimensional. It's mind blowing to go through the exercise, and then just like throwing a writer into what some of the things that you do in there. It's just it's okay to let go. I think is maybe the main theme of that. It's okay to let go because your brain is your brain already has it. It's going to help you, but you just have to get out of the fear of you know structure so called. I mean there is you know there's structure to all of this, but you also have to get out of the fear. And this is what you know. All my first quarter students are like, oh, I just need to learn structure. I need to need to learn structure. I'm like, no, no, no. There's a couple things we're working on here. Structure is going to be there, and then you got to get far away from it as possible to because you already we already have the structures in our brain, especially when I'm teaching film. I'm like, how many films do you watch a week? Three. You you already if you you probably watch thousands of films. You already know the three act structure. If 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 you watched a movie that was not a three act structure, you'd be walk out of there going, that was weird. I don't understand it, and you don't know why. But it's just because they didn't follow the beats that are on every single film, you know? Well, I think the question is, uh, how comfortable are we with what we don't understand? I mean, I think that what we want is some imaginative courage to embrace the mysteries and to not feel like we're dependent on a structure that is really just imposed upon us by culture, by our own, you know, educational experience. Let's step out of that a little bit. And one of the the big inspirations um, for my textbook, and it's strange to say, it's one of the the experiences I'm most grateful for, uh, contracting malaria uh, in a faraway part of the world. It, extreme fever, particularly if you're in a Red Cross tent, is very, very disorienting on a deep psychic and spiritual level. And it completely changes your notion of structure. And I think that open channels of thinking that I I want to keep in play in my own creative practice, but to encourage in students. And a lot of those things end up in, in practical terms, boiling down to some very, very accessible things, children's games, uh, ESL techniques. Uh, I draw on a lot of my experience from working with blind people. Um, my second summer in college, I worked uh, at the Enchanted Hills Camp for the Blind in Napa. And that's another thing that I draw on. I, I, it's funny how these things come back to you across the years. You know, you think, wow, that was really an insight, you know? Yeah. And it, those kinds of experience. The other thing is that um, I'm a proud citizen of the Solomon Islands, which is not far from New Guinea, which is where I contracted malaria. Um, and one of the things that uh, drew me there, that's the, hub of Guadalcanal, which is the capital um, and a a real site of of major World War II action. During the war and then later in other conflicts, it was never deemed appropriate to think a Solomon Islander, who are our allies, 
was missing in action. They had their own special category, NYA, not yet arrived. And I just think that's the most beautiful and inspiring thing I've ever heard in my life. And I like, well, not yet arrived. That's where I want to be, you know? Yeah. When, um, so, so let's, let's go into the way back machine. When yeah. I was doing drinks with Tony in San Francisco and me and you met at that bar in the mission. And that's when I first met you and I brought my field recording gear. And I don't know what, what that was, was that like 2005 or t- were you living in the Solomon Islands at that time? You, no, you, you I was had, based in Australia then, but yeah. no, You were I in Australia? I hadn't come back to live in America, no. Yeah, okay, you were, yeah. You were. oh, that's right. You were. You came from Australia. And that's yeah. why I only had like, I had to get you at a certain time and then record the show. So when I, when I got back to studio, it could be recorded when you were off gallivanting back to Australia. <laughs> that would, that would, I, I can't even remember the name of that bar. And it's just, it's. It's probably it's on, gone. I know by it? this point. Who knows? And there was Dal- another- No, it was Dalva. It was called Dalva. And six years ago, it was still there because we had the Jesus Jerk after party at the bar. So it was that, that was that we, I was, it oh, was the I'm, same I'm bar. I'm pleased to hear that. That was a great. Where was the, um, there was, because we did two shows and there was another time where you were a radio show based on the ground floor of a kind of warehousey art collective place. Oh, you can't, you, you came to the, the, the Pirate Cat Radio Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What street? I, I, so that runs parallel to Mission, right? Or, or perpendicular to Mission? Sorry, that was um, on um, that was on Twenty Third and Bryant, I think, in the in the Mission, and or no, 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 it was like Twenty First, Twenty Second. I stayed with you, remember? Oh my God, that's right. I because I was at, I, one, I was in the middle of a divorce too. I was in a really bad relationship that I so yes. cool about you and her, and you, we you stayed there. And I was then the, I was so happy that yeah, I was, that's right. We me, we me did and you an went, art walk. did the art walk. That's right. Yes, we did an art walk. And the the, the following morning, I was so grateful for your hospitality. Uh, you've always been such a good host, and of course, coming from overseas, that meant a real you know extra amount. And I remember uh, walking through the mission and it was still really the mission. And there was kind of a junk shop sort of, you know, window. And it was cold then. It seemed to be always a little bit cold when I visited you in San Francisco. And but the morning sun was coming up. And as I was looking in this window and there's just all this miscellany of, you know, it's just a you know junk shop. I saw this little mouse come out and and peek its head up into the sun. And I thought, I'm like that mouse. And, you know, I really felt looked after. I was very grateful for that, Tony. Uh, those were really fun times. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, that's so cool. Ah. <laughs> it's so great to see you, Chris, even though even though we're in two different cities. Um but uh, yeah, that's and and when the last time I saw you, 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 you were you having traction on a TV show or something, or you were in you were in town for some. Yeah, and yeah, that and did that well, happen? Did did what happen happen? What usually happens with traction? <laughs> uh, 
you know, limbo production. I mean, I the the book in question is Private Midnight, which for listeners right. is a noir, neo noir uh, story that turns into a psychological uh, and supernatural horror story. Uh, got a starred review in Publishers Weekly. Stephen Graham Jones blurbed it. We did a CD of full music for it. It has is, got is that oh, well. Oh. You were promoting that on Drinks with Tony at the Cafe, I think, because I remember the CD and I think we played it in between segments yes. we were playing tracks. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And some of that is being re-recorded now uh, in in Las Vegas, uh, where I, my base now, I, I live in Boulder City, but um, I'm part of the Vegas scene. And yeah, some of that music is, is uh, I think, still really viable. And I'm, I'm getting like, that may go ahead on its own terms now. Um, so I'm excited about that, but yes, traction. And for anyone who's listening, I'm sure people understand what Tony's saying because it's he has this beautiful smile and is just saying this so ironically. <laughs> you know, it's more like quicksand. And yeah. uh, in one of my stories about the Solomon Islands, I, I have um, that you know everything focuses around a sort of jungle bar. And there was a quicksand pit. And I don't know how many people have really dealt with quicksand, but it's a real thing. And it's not a you know Hollywood thing. But at one point, the jukebox had been thrown into the quicksand. And the physics of quicksand are very strange because the thing would come back up occasionally. You know, like a kind of like weird thing and it's sort of crusted. And so the rainbow jukebox thing is just this hideous monster of, you know, goop. And then it disappears back down. You know, it comes back up and it goes back down. And that's why I feel like with a lot of Hollywood projects. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to that because it's, you know, it's amazing anything gets done at all. You know? Right. Right. And yeah, and the people who say, oh, yeah, no, this producer is interested. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just smile and go, that's cute. It's <laughs> really cute. <laughs> Do you want to know his name? No, I really don't. Because it doesn't matter because <laughs> nothing's going to happen. <laughs> it, it it really is a very, very strange deal. But you, Do you notice, though, that that, that applies, in my experience, entirely to hollywood film and television not to publishing in you know right New York, yes you know yeah no one talks about that because we That's... don't even know who those editors are you know we can say steven spielberg or you know eric Overmar or whoever you know because right. we know some of those figures but nobody knows any editor in new york and the and I feel like I mean I'm I'm kind of shopping uh well I'm shopping for agents for the novel I finished last year, um my my old uh, agent who sold Jesus Jerk she moved to CAA so she was she was a she gave me a first read on it and she was just like this is very fresh and funny it's, it does not fit in anything I sell anymore so she referred me to uh, six agents I'm still waiting to hear from four of them. But um, which I'll which, you know, I'll do my follow up this week. But um, but and, you know, I'm just assuming that they're not going to that, you know, I just assume everyone's going to say no. But at the same time, there's something refreshing about the publishing industry where they just say no. 
they'll tell you know it's just like do it in you know in, in uh la and stuff you just won't hear from people again the publishing industry is a little more on top of it and they're like and even you know even it was it was so nice to my uh agent who from jesus jerk who didn't have to do anything for me and she gave it a read and she's like look here's why i gotta pass on it but <clears throat> she she like went in depth and it's just like i just love that so much because that it just feels like there's there's a little more often there's a little more authenticity and a little more like hey you know what the answer is no and here's why and i i want to hear that I f- and i feel like the kind of the hollywood vibe is no one wants to ever say no they it's it's just like no tell me no and tell me why and i, I won't be upset about it tell I'll, me I'll no and tell me why <laughs> yeah right uh well, I think you're, you know, you're such a kind person, genuinely, you know, and I imagine you're a tremendously warm teacher. You're much kinder about the literary agent scene than I am. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't understand it. You know, I, I don't think there's a work ethic for, for starters. I mean, if you and I, you know, individually, collectively, were handed any kind of writing assignment or, or any business opportunity we jump on it with a full work ethic like you know marine corps work ethic yeah those people you know the truth is and it took me a long time to learn this a great number of agents are moneyed they come from family money right and that's the yeah exactly the the gen yeah it's oh i can we can go for another two hours on trust funds type people yeah, <laughs> but, well, that's but it. not that not that that not that i use and i i mean i don't i don't want to make it sound like i'm one of those people that say eat the rich and stuff like that because i find those just buffoon phrases i'm just like what you don't even know what you're talking about you know it's and even when people are upset about the economy and go well jeff bezos should do this this and this and i'm like you don't know what it's like to be a billionaire <laughs> and, and guess what he's also providing he's part of the economy if we lose if he just said you know what screw this i'm moving to spain spain's gdp just went up if he takes it all of it it's just you know it's so mind-blowing oh yeah yeah no i'm with you on that i'm with you on that i i don't have any complaints about people at that level i think that the level i'm talking about is people who really don't need to be in business they have the shingle out because they want the prestige, the perceived prestige of the arts. They're not hungry. Art gallery people. They're not hungry. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm yeah. saying. That's and hung- I'm saying. and hungry is almost everything. Like you know, it's it's, it's uh, just even being a little hungry, and it's and it's it's um the I'll get back to you because I, you know, I haven't, I, I'm just starting to throw the feelers out and, you know, give me, give me like four months and a hundred rejections. And then I'll be sitting there going, damn it. You're right, Chris. <laughs> but I I still don't know yet. I do know that. Well, what I'm going to do this time is um, this time around. Cause a lot of times we don't even, you know, especially if our agents are in New York, and we and even and even if we sell a book, we we may never meet our editor in person. And I'm determined to the minute the minute an agent move happens, I'm going to New York 
and I'm I'm gonna go have lunch and just and let's just vibe each other. It's just it's almost like I'm gonna it's I'm, on my own dime. I'm going straight over there so we can look each other in the eyes. And they may go, you know what? You got weird eyes. I can't hang with you. And that's fine. Let's get to know this before we before we uh, get into this marriage of, you know, what we're about to do. So, I was so excited uh, going to New York when things really started rolling. I'd been, to, uh, you know, obviously to New York many times. I, I went to school in, in New England. And uh, I, so New York City wasn't, uh, well, I was just a kid wandering around getting high, you know, but when I got to go to meet an, you know, an editor and that whole sort of scene, but the, there was a wonderful moment though. Random house was at 1734 Broadway. So the top end of Times Square and they, they've moved since then. Uh, but I was so excited going there and you walk in and, you know, the, the, the foyer there was this enormous, beautiful marble sanctuary with giant bookcases filled with all the first editions of people they'd published, you know, Faulkner, everybody, everybody. And then you walk through the security and you might as well and go up the elevator, one floor even, let alone five, and you might as well be in the Walmart head office. And there were two moments that completely destroyed my romance of the thing one the late you know senator and presidential nominee you know john mccain was there he was you know trying to really spruik his memoirs and uh i met him in the men's room he'd managed to escape his little entourage of handlers and he he had his shirt stuck in the zipper and I, I said, Mr. McCain, I'm sorry, you need to. And he was like the white rabbit. He just had no idea whatsoever. And I said, sir, I, you have to, you know. And he finally got it. And I led him back to his handlers who were all. And then I met my publicist. And this was the real turning point. And I think a lot of writers, I wish people had told me, you know, this, you know, when I was in my 20s. Well, she was in her 20s and she was drop dead gorgeous and she was from Wellesley and her parents were rich and lived in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I went to her desk and said, thank you very much for uh, you know representing my book. She had 40 titles that she was pushing at the time. And then I noticed something behind her desk, a blue sleeping bag wow yeah she wasn't making enough money to live anywhere near manhattan if she didn't have her greenwich you know connecticut parents she wouldn't have been in the game and she was working her butt off you know and suddenly the weight of that whole building and that whole scene came down on me and and then i went to the brill building you know, the great music sort of, you know, hive of, you know, Neil Diamond and Carol King and stuff. And I thought, you know, that's legitimate and real. That was like where people knew they were in a factory. There was no question, you know, get this song out by the end of the day. No questions asked. Random House 
oh, we're executives or we're publishers or we're in the arts, you know? No, you're not. You're you're exploiting the shit out of people, you know? And really bright people who are working their butts off. Um, that was a, you know, it was a slap in the face. It was my, I walked out and I went, wow, I think I need, you know, a margarita. Well, it's always margarita time. Now, that's that's, that's intriguing. I I really wish the John McCain story was that you got down on your knees and you tried to help him with his zipper. And then then someone came in and took a photo. (laughs) And you're like... Give that little section of white shirt a little bit of head. Is that what you wanted? Oh, dear. You're a mean man, actually. I take it back. You're not a kind man. You're a mean man. No, I look... I You know, and he was... Frail and just daughter, yeah. just you know, lost. It's like the urinal, sir, is over here, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's just the big scandal. That's the one that got to him. <laughs> if it wasn't for that random house bathroom with that fella, God, maybe I traumatized him. Oh, no, are you putting it all on me? Oh, I think no. I think all the I think all the war crimes are on you now. <laughs> oh man, maybe Sarah Palin too. Oh geez. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> but isn't this this is what literature is all about, right? It's one little tweak of the dial, and then it's it's the butterfly effect, but done more in you know, it's the McCain shirt tail effect. Yeah, there it is. Uh, oh, Dear me. I haven't heard Sarah the word Sarah Palin in so long. I wonder what she's doing. I wonder if she's single. I'm single right now. Hmm. <laughs> and I live in well, Alaska. So hot, you know, for her age. I mean, I, I don't care what anyone says. I, I I just you know what she she well, she was just in the news a little while ago doing something. Um my favorite thing about her was her Thanksgiving deal where she's, you know, spruiking out at, 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 at a turkey farm. And, you know, the guy behind her is throwing turkeys into this mulching machine and he's not aware of it. It's just like, get your PR people to help you, woman. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, God. Ugh. I mean, these are vague memories because, you know, when you have like PTSD over certain things, <laughs> there's a lot of things you forget. But it just it kind of blew my mind because wasn't she supposed to be vice president of and and it's just like and she she was the governor of Alaska, which is kind of like being, um, you know, not even a mayor of San Francisco, kind of just more like, you know, district <laughs> district eight supervisor population wise, you know, it's just like, yeah, like, well, population like, wise, um, I think there's a lot of money in that game. Uh, yeah. And- Remember her husband? I don't. Um, oh, and, and her crazy family. All her daughters kept getting pregnant, and she kept getting pregnant. And it's like, God damn. You know, how does I, this happen? And it's just you're just like, well, the penis goes inside the vagina. It's I mean, you don't know this yet. <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. Well, he was like a snowmobile champion or something, you know? Uh, <laughs> Snow- and- <laughs> Oh, we're terrible for laughing at these people. They're good people, I'm sure, somehow, some way. <laughs> well, right. You know, I mean, every you know, let's be diverse. Let's let's celebrate diversity and just like we we want to be kind as the wanna, people. We want to be kind to the snowmobile champions. 
Oh no! You you wait till you meet him. He's a he's a snowmobile champion, and people in like Juneau, Alaska, are going, "Oh my god, do you mean Phil?" <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You know, I, I had a change of heart about snowmobiles because I met a dude here in Vegas. He's performing at the Mandalay, which is my favorite resort. It is unfortunately the the resort where the the mass shooting took place, hmm. uh, but it's still the classiest of the major resorts on the strip it's on the south end and he performs in a beautiful uh small room the prohibition lounge it's 1920s themed and they've it's sort of a mystery themed thing and there's like secret passageways and stuff really lovely he's a psychic uh named kent axel uh, a mentalist I really, I think he's a cool dude. And we ended up meeting in Vegas Chinatown, which is about as strange as it gets. Hmm. I mean, Vegas Chinatown is not like New York or San Francisco Chinatown, nothing like Hong Kong. And yet, and yet it is mysteries all around. And so we're talking and I, I thought, so I wanted to talk to him about my my new book, which is based on the textbook, an expansion of the memory and alertness part. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, you know, magicians, I've always been interested in them. I include a lot of mentions about magicians in the book, Penn and Teller for sure. Um, so we're, we're putting together some workshop ideas. And I said to him, like, well, what's your schedule like over the holidays? And he said, well, I'm going back home to rural Maine to do a bit of a show and also to be part of a snowmobile competition. And I said, Kent, you've got to be joking me. I mean, come on. He's a really good looking dude in his late 30s. And he's a magician in Vegas. And I said, I, I just have a hard time accepting that you're a snowmobile champion and you're going back to rural Maine. He goes, well, I'm, I'm sorry. That's where I'm from. <laughs> it was fabulous, but he's back now. And uh, if anyone comes to Vegas, I really recommend you check him out. Um, very, you know, it, it's entertainment. If you, if you don't want to go down the psychic belief path and just want a good evening of entertainment, of intimate entertainment he's really cool so uh so, what, what's the difference between a mentalist and a psychic uh it, it's a very fine line and it's an excellent question it's something i'm exploring in the new book based on the textbook um a mentalist is someone who is an entertainer who uses alertness acuity uh, to perform apparent tricks that are really just about being hyper-observational. And that can include some quote-unquote psychic things. Psychics, though, are considered by those magicians, mentalists, to be people who have signs on the side of the street and, and have, you know, they're fortune tellers. And they may or may not be legitimate. You know, um, there is a kind of ethical conflict there. Uh, sometimes psychics really do prey on people 
And uh, they particularly are often seen to uh, prey on elderly people who want to communicate with, say, a dead husband or wife. And so psychics are, are in business regularly. Mentalists are performing people within a show business context. We, uh, yeah, I'm, you, I mean, you drive down Hollywood and you're driving, you know, by a psychic. Yeah, you know, right. It's just like, it's like liquor store, McDonald's, in and out burger, psychic. Liquor store, McDonald's, in and out burger, well, church of Scientology, psychic. <laughs> yeah. Those people are not mentalists. Right. Those are psychics. And yeah. they may or may not be sincere or legitimate on any level. I don't, I, I kind of just assume they're not. But I do know that there's intuitive people out there that, um, that, that I don't, that I don't, um, I don't know how they do it or if, you know, I, I'm not aware, I don't have the understanding, but I, but they, they say they can make contact with the other side or, or the other, you know, and I'm, my mind is open to that. I'm not going to sit there and go, no, you don't. Cause what do I, what do I know? Because what does any of us know when it comes to this, human um this crazy story of just being human and the stories that we tell ourselves to feel okay on this ball that's just spinning through space you know well here's an example i i'm i i work on 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 mentalism and this is part of the textbook it's part of the the really crucial uh section that my new book is is sort of an expansion of um i know you're right-handed that's the difference, you know, now you can, you know, that's what mentalism starts with. Um, how do I know that? Well, you know, that's a very simple trick. It's not really even a trick, uh, but it's based on that as opposed to communicating with other worlds, you know, mm. and that's fun and imaginative. And yeah. I think there's no, I mean, I certainly believe in other worlds. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, look behind, I got masks everywhere. I, you know, places right. filled with spirits, but that's a different sort of game. Okay. But mentalism is really about a hyperacuity of observation, knowledge of human nature. Uh, and I, for, I mean, I, cold reading is a technique um, that I recommend heavily in the textbook. And I think it's a vital skill for writers. I mean, think of those great moments in, in Sherlock Holmes, particularly when he's with his brother, Mycroft, and they're they're riffing off each other, of, of like saying, you know, they see someone and they can really infer so much about them. That's what writers should be doing. I go to casinos just not to gamble or drink, I park myself and I watch people and I think, and I dictate in my book, like, this is what's going on with them. I'm, you know, reading the world that way. And this is to me where a lot of contemporary writing fails is that people just aren't observational, you know? And what a, what a fascinating, I know nothing about Las Vegas. I've like, I was there on a four hour stopover once and, you know, being from California, I, I you'd think I would know more, but I don't, but I've, 
But what a fascinating place to observe people because when you're sitting in a casino in Las Vegas, you're observing essentially all of humanity because everyone goes to Vegas. It's a tremendous crossroads. It really is. And it's also a crossroads uh, just day to day. I think a lot of Americans don't know how diverse the city is. And I'm very proud of how integrated and racially cool it is. It's a really good vibe city. I mean, you could look at a city like Milwaukee or St. Louis, which is completely, you know, fragment and just real. Uh, Vegas is, is very cool day to day. But then mm -hmm. we have this enormous tourism thing of all the world. And if you want to, if you're interested in people, and I don't know how a writer cannot be interested in people, this is it, it's the ultimate laboratory workshop. It really is. Mm. You can and you're at, what's that? I mean, wow, you know? Yeah. Anything can happen at any moment. Like, for instance, and this is not just the strip at all. I mean, I really mean the whole of the town. Uh, Atomic Liquors is a famous uh, liquor, you know, bar in... Uh, Old town, downtown, Fremont Street. Um, Tony Shea, the late Tony Shea, who uh, was sort of renovating that part of, of Vegas, was was the owner there. And But you could go there for trivia night, for instance. I would do that just to check people out. And there was one table that was just, they were the gun table. They won. They were champions. And the captain of, of that team, was a little person with a cane who had been, he'd had a Hollywood career. And as the night went on, he'd get really tanked, but he was lucid as. And at the end of the night, he'd be waving his cane going, I hate this political correctness. We're not little people. I'm a dwarf. When, when we were dwarfs, we made money, you know? And that guy who's always talking about little people, and he would just go on, you know, and it was just so magical. And to see him exit the bar, waving his cane, just weaving, you know, and there's, I mean, we've got more circus people. Uh, we've got more animal trainers. Um, right. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I have a student and she's in the, sh you know, in the show world, she's Cirque du Soleil. And mm -hmm. I said, really? And I said, can you like do, you know, like what can you do? You know, this little tiny classroom, awful cinder block, big university building. She goes, what do you want? And I said, not to be too challenging. What about a standing backflip? Oh, she goes. <laughs> and I go, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. She says, do you want me, you want me to do it the other way? <laughs> Uh, no, no. Uh, Maya, you, you, you can sit down now. Isn't that, that's so much fun though, to be around people like that who are doing these other things that just kind of blow your mind. You're like, wait a second. Why didn't I even think that you would do that? Of course you would do that. You live in Vegas. You're with Cirque du Soleil. Of course. Tell you another great magician story. My stepfather's past and he was long gone before he died. But they came out to visit. And we went to 
a small room magic act at the Paris. And there was an up and coming magician there who is uh, French and basically card coin, you know, and beautiful girls, you know, pretty straightforward magic act. And it was really fun. And my stepfather at the time, just, he looked at the girls, you know, and he just, I, I had him right down the front row because he was in a wheelchair. So he had these beautiful female crotches in, in just lustrous purple shimmering right in his face. And I, I could see him wake up. He was conscious. And so then we left and I was, you know, we wheeled him out in the parking lot and I'll be damned. The magician comes out just wearing street clothes, looking just like, you know, who would know? Yeah. And my stepmother goes, you're the magician. And the magician is a beautiful French. He said, I am. Did you enjoy the show? And my stepfather goes, yes. But can you do a trick now? And the magician goes, Chola. yeah, I can. Anytime. And my stepfather just, it woke. I mean, it was so beautiful. It was real magic. It was so good. And, you know, because you think, well, these these guys, I mean, of course, what, what are you going to ask? Can you do that off stage? Can you do that? Right. And I think writers should should really think about that. Is, yeah. Can you tell a good story on the bar stool or waiting at the bus? You know, you know. At the RTD stop, can you actually tell a good story? Can you engage? Can you watch? You know, yeah, we could do magic anywhere, you know? Oh, I like that. And I like that the magician was so open to it. Wait, what the magical moment happened in the parking lot? It was beautiful. You know, one of those huge underground parking lots in Vegas, which is what they designed the little thing, you know, the key thing so you can hear your, you know, car, you know? Oh, right because you can't find it otherwise. And it was so wonderful. Here's uh, my stepfather's just, you know, so just vacant normally, really. And it was a magic moment. It was, it was worth the, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was so fabulous. And, it, and those are the beautiful, those are the beautiful moments that you, you're, you know, you're trying to, you're like, hey, let's do this. Let's try to do this. Let's go here. Let's do that. You know, you set up all this planning stuff, and then something unplanned happens, and that's the and this the thing that's like free and available to you is available to you and free because you you put yourself out for all these other things, and all of a sudden, that there there's your moment, and it happens in a parking lot. I love that. But don't you feel that way as a writer that you do all this planning and thinking and, you know, but it, it's the thing that, that is unplanned that suddenly just, I don't know, comes in from wherever it comes in from. That is the whole deal. And you think, oh, that's what I was really doing. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's um this is when I mean, I have like all these books on like creative alchemy and all, you know, and I'm, I've been learning astrology and I've been learning all these like other esoteric things because I'm a little more. Um, I used to be scared to death of it because growing up a Jehovah's Witness, that was just like, you know, putting your finger in Satan's butthole. But, um, <laughs> you know, and now I'm like, oh, smells like cheese. But um, the it's I think it's we're as writers, if it, we could really tap into the magic once we get into our characters and then our characters start doing things that we didn't even know that they were going to do. 
when we've put them in all these situations. And I, and this is me just talking because I've had a good writing week on the on the current novel I'm working on. But it it um the novel kind of I knew what I was where I was going with this in the novel, and then when I got to these scenes that I knew I had to write, it, it was like they went somewhere else. And, and and it and it and it didn't go and it didn't go exactly how I wanted it to go because I knew a joke had I knew I knew the joke I wanted to get to I knew I knew a setup I knew where I was going this is around page fifty I knew I knew I knew kind of the joke and that stayed in there but that wasn't the the scene the scene was something else even though that light joke is still in there and. It's only because I. It's only because you show up to the page, and I think I'm learning. I've been learning more and more over the years to show up to the page with less and less um, idea of how it's going to happen, or less and less outcome, and more and more. Where does this go? And I just showing up and going. I. What was yesterday's work? Okay, cool. Where does today go? I. I. I couldn't tell you. And then you just go and 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 you're in. You're in the you're in the zone. I like the idea of showing up to the page as the you know as a venue. You know, getting there for the gig. I I, I really like the idea of spatializing that, and I think that's a really crucial aspect of writing that is really not taught enough and not supported enough. I mean, it's very my whole thing is just being as physical and implanted and really uh, embedded as possible. So I think showing up to the page and also, I like that sense of obligation as if it's waiting for you, you know, it's like, yeah. Tony, are you here? Tony, Tony, show up. You know, I think that's really, you know, I think writers need to feel that. I think all artists need to feel mm -hmm. that. It's one of the things I'm I'm really grooving on in in the music sort of side of my game, of that ethic that that natural protocol. You know, it's just like let's show up and play. You know, you gotta you gotta be there somewhere. And there's gear or equipment. There's instruments. There's some physicality to it that's really really crucial. And a lot of you know young writers I think go. Well, I've got I've got this idea. I've got this idea. You know? No, you don't. Exactly. What you have is some bad malformed language that isn't anything yet. But stick with it, you know? Yeah. No, ex exactly. Like everyone, everyone's like, "Oh, I have this idea." You know, I don't have time to write it. Maybe you could write it. Let me give it to you. And I'm just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't even want to hear it because I've got like I got hundreds of ideas in my head, and I'm focused on two, and and they're all really bad ideas. And even the two I'm focused on are bad ideas. But let me work them and try to figure it out so it turns into some type of good pasta sauce where people don't spit it out and puke. And sometimes, you know, just to, I mean, pulling a thread, you know, thread, that's such a great metaphor because, you know, anytime you do that, I think in any aspect of life, things start to go, whoa, you know, was it really that one moment that happened? No, I think there was a whole bunch of other stuff. And to encourage that in writers, um, this young woman who um, we both 
Uh, I don't have a dog at the moment. I was house-sitting a retired FBI agent dog um, for a couple of days, and I just fell in love with him. But my student um, has a beautiful pit bull with just absolutely sleek, perfect coat. And dogs, you know, the coloring of dogs is a very, very specialized world, the beautiful languages. When I had my Mastiff, I found out the name is Sand. Sand is the color of, mm. of that Mastiff. And that's a real formal thing. And I said, you know, What's the color of your dog? Because I know silky gray is one. That's I was looking at a silky gray female. And she said, are you ready for it? And I said, yeah, lay it on me. She goes, it's hyphenated. And I go, well, well, lay it on me. She goes, charcoal perfect. And I said, that's a great title. Charcoal perfect. I said, you got to be kidding. That is just, that's so wonderful to say. It's like, patting him she goes i know i know it's just it is that and it and i said look you, you just work with that that's all you need that's all, yeah. all you need is that title as a starting point it doesn't matter where it goes just follow it you know yeah Charcoal, perfect, you know i like that a lot i teach <clears throat> i teach at the library once a month i do this like creative writing workshop open to anybody so anyone off the street comes in and anyone and everyone does come in. I do have about half of them are regulars and the other half are like, who are you and what are you doing? And you know, you're here to you're here to do something for me. And what I and what I do with this workshop is I I'll prepare the writing exercise just very roughly. And that takes me about five minutes because I'm gonna give them a writing exercise and then they, we all talk about what they wrote. But for the lecture, I go in like blank. And it's kind of like my open mic night. I think of it as my open <laughs> mic night. And, and I don't know how many people are going to be there. Sometimes there's been a couple of times it's been four. So I just sit down right in front of everyone. I'm like, what do you want to talk about specifically? And I could sit there and have a personal conversation. Sometimes it's 25 and I'm, I'm gauging from eye contact if I'm keeping people entertained or if I'm going too long and then I go, okay, someone give me a question. Obviously I'm going too long. And, um, and it's, uh, but there's something there. The stakes involved are not high because I'm volunteering and, it, but the stakes, I guess the stakes are kind of high because I can really fall flat on my ass and not have anything, but I never not have anything. Cause I'm always, cause I'm always thinking about story and I'm always writing. So it's just, and some, and most of my writing exercises, like, cause there's people that have, and I've been doing this almost six years. So there's people that have come to every single class. So I try to have a new exercise every single week. So I probably have about 70 writing exercises and they're usually based on scenes that I've written that week where I'm like, Oh, I'll give them this exercise and just kind of like see what they do with the scene that I just worked on from give it three beats of, you know, point A, point B, point C, and then see what they write and, you know, and let them go with that. And then they, they're just like, where do you get these assignments? And I'm just like, yeah. eh, you know, it comes to me, you know. <laughs> well, uh, you're the epitome of one of my core ideas that imaginative people are very generous people. You know, they're generous teachers. They're generous naturally. 
Um, listeners, Tony's contribution to my textbook, which there are about um, 20 writer friends uh, that I asked for very specific uh, contributions from across the major, the four major uh, genres. Um, and one of the interesting things about Tony's contribution is the, 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 the very practical basis of working with other people, the, 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 the movement of taking a, a novel a memoir written privately, moving that into the very multidimensional, not just multimedia, but multidimensional social collaborative world of creating a film and how to adjust to that. And I think that that was one of the parts that people really resonate with in your contribution is that, and it's something I emphasize across all of my teaching is that, yeah, there is that moment of showing up to the page as we were talking about, and that kind of naked combat alone with ideas and, and story. But in the end, all of communication is about sharing and about connecting with people. And I think that was something that, that real, it's just so important. And I don't think a lot of young writers really get that, that it's about collaboration from the get-go. You need to have people listening to your work. I mean, if I had one thing to do in my marriages, and you and I have had some checkered history on that front. Oh, dear Lord, that's I, that's part I three. I <laughs> shared more with, with the women. I would have just mm. said, I'm going to read you something, you know? I want your feedback. I want you to have some ownership and connection because this is really important to me, you mm -hmm. know? And I didn't do that. I, I really copped to that. I, I, it took me a long time to share art and usually very late in the game or pretty recently, in other words, it was more visual and musical. I did something that people could enjoy in real time because I was afraid to go like, you know? And here were women who were, you know, I mean, they were sleeping with me. They were giving it up and, and they knew and we were sharing storytelling in an oral sense, oral. Ha. And <laughs> Don't yet, worry. I caught that too. <laughs> yeah. And yet, you know, I was, I just didn't feel comfortable saying, you know, read this. Does that mm. resonate with you in any way in, in, in either your relationships or the larger world of teaching and collaboration? Um. Well, I do. I, I I wait to send like with the last novel I did, I waited to send it out when I thought it was done, um, and that I that was my vulnerable point right there, and then, and then I thought it was done, and then I got notes from a couple people who I really respect, and one of them said something really important, and I went, oh my. God, it's not done. And that that B story that's so funny needs to go away. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just, I'm just like, oh my God. I okay. And that was another six-month rewrites. And then I was just like, okay, now it's done. Now let's get it out. Um as for relationships, you know, it's as I look back, um, I feel like when I'm in a relationship, I haven't been working so hard on something and then when something hits and I have to work hard on it the relationship then and this you know I'm working on this in therapy but the relationships break up 
And and sometimes it has turned out that what I'm working on has turned into something to be jealous of. And, and, oh, wait, why do you get to have that? And I'm over here working on this. And it's not like that. And I, I haven't really dated any writers or been in relationships with writers. So they just, and maybe one of these days I'll be in a relationship with a writer, which would be fantastic because we could read to each other at night, the books that we're reading, and then we could show each other our, each other's work and we can be, and, and oh, this is, this is a call to everybody out there. I'm available. <laughs> well look you know that's a lovely idea <laughs> but i gotta tell you i'm gonna go to my mentalist friends yes, and i'm gonna say that ain't gonna happen <laughs> bring me back to bring me back to reality chris <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sorry that's not gonna happen i think though that, that you know um I, I, I'm going to put on my psychic. Uh, I can see uh, a woman who is involved in movement, uh, a dance, physical therapy, someone uh, in that world, that kind of artist. All right. I can't wait to bring her to Las Vegas and introduce her to you. I like that idea. Well, look, you owe me a visit. You I do. do. I do. Uh, I, I, well, I owe you a visit. In a, but, but I was there last. I, I, no, it's I my, came, it, it is my turn. I know it's my turn. I got to go there. <laughs> but I do want to go back to that restaurant. What was the Where did we go? The alcove? It was a garden restaurant. It was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, we, we were at the alcove. Yeah. On Hillhurst. Oh, man. Yeah, that was like one of those LA days that yeah. just you know you think oh, it's a warm day. Did we drink beer? I think we had beer. We might have had beer. I can't remember. I think we might have. Yeah, we had an I afternoon beer. Yeah, it was just yeah, it was LA on a well, it was just absolutely magic. Uh, how far away is that from where you live now? That's not can't be well. No, it's not too far. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's the nicer area of town. That's Los Feliz. I'm in East Hollywood, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a way. Yeah, yeah. Not too far. I mean, it's yeah, it's um, it's walkable if I want to walk through uh, uh, tents and walk on the street to walk through tents and people splayed out, and that's why I take my walks early in the morning and I want to walk far. So I can just walk over the bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, well, this is one of the reasons why I live up in, uh, against Red Mountain with the coyotes and the ravens, uh, because Vegas is, you know, on the other side of those mountains. And I don't like even driving. I mean, I do drive to, you know, campus and, you know, downtown and all sorts of stuff, but, I'm really glad to be back home because the lake is here and don't tell anyone the UFOs come every night and I'm home with my neighbor. All my neighbors believe because we have to. Yeah. Because they come. They just, they're just lights in the sky. 
They haven't stopped. I haven't been abducted or probed yet. Although, I don't know, like a lot of people go, well, that would be a terrible thing. And I would think, well, I don't know. You know, I, I would be spreading it to the sky going, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, look at my shirt. You know, it's like, it's really, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, part it's of asking for a probing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Am I asking for it? Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, Look, you need to come out here. I'm coming out. Well, then we'll talk more in a minute. And I got to end the show, though. Chris, thank you for coming on the show this week. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, listeners. I really appreciate it.